This episode of the Bulldog For Me podcast is proudly brought to you by SafeEarth. SafeEarth is a specialist electrical engineering company based out of Newcastle, New South Wales, with offices operating in South Australia, Western Australia, ACT, Victoria and Queensland. SafeEarth provides world-recognised expertise in safe power system grounding and earthing and lighting protection systems, offering services in consulting, technical training, test instruments and software. They are always looking for good people. So if you want to be trained as an earthing specialist or if you just want to become a better engineer, come and join them. Get in touch at info at alsports.com.au. That's info at alsports.com.au. Please share this podcast on social media platforms with the hashtag Bulldog for me for a chance to win a doggy dollars voucher worth $25 thanks to Safe Earth. Again, share the podcast on social media platforms with the hashtag Bulldog for me for a chance to win a doggy dollars voucher worth $25 thanks to Safe Earth. When talking about Adelaide Lutheran, it is impossible not to talk about Joe Duffield. The typical knockabout country footballer from Port Broughton had his life turned upside down after a freak accident left him bound to a wheelchair for life. But he never let that stop him. He has gone on to become one of the most decorated and successful coaches in Adelaide Lutheran history. He doesn't make any excuses for himself and he doesn't apologise for who he is. Magnetic in his personality, dogmatic in his view on football, he is Joe Duffield. Take him or leave him. Welcome to the inaugural Bulldog for Me podcast. My name's James Zubernich. I'm here with my co-host Scott Mavolka. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you all. Good. And then, uh, as the old saying goes, to get us off to a flyer, Joe Duffield. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Welcome, welcome. So um, they say you should never judge a book by its cover, Duffy, but I'm going to right now. <laughs> when I look at you, I see you've got a body covered in tats. You've got a big unkempt beard, long hair, uh, you know, any given footy night you're having a can of Captain Morgan's. So basically what I'm saying is you don't come across as a church going lad. <laughs> so how do you find, how does a boy from Port Broughton find his way to Adelaide Lutheran? Yeah, well, um, probably not a church going lad, you're right there. But um, I guess how I end up at Adelaide Lutheran was a little bit by accident. Um, I... Um, had been coaching football back in Port Broughton and um, that sort of come to an end and I was um, I was moving to Adelaide just for a bit of change of lifestyle and um, just so happened a um, bloke from Adelaide Lutheran that um, worked for my auntie, he'd been the runner, um, Paul Macker, um, he'd been the runner out at the Doggies for a couple of years prior to me coming and um, he... Um, had to uh, step away from the doggies because of work um, commitments and um, he'd heard about me so he passed my name on to Caleb saying I was uh, moving to moving to Adelaide and that uh, um, if they were interested get in touch with me so Caleb reached out and we had a bit of a chat and the rest is history really. Yeah so um, I suppose 
obviously before you, you started coaching, you were a bit of a player yourself. I had a chat to one of your oldest mates, Andrew Wilson, throughout the week um, just to get a little bit of an insight into who you were as a player. And um, one thing that stayed with me after speaking with Willow was, and I quote, Duff was an anti- antagonistic, lippy little bastard on the field um, and had like nothing on him. So you were obviously zipping around in the field a lot more than anything else, but had a pretty good in and under, he was saying. Like you got the job done more often than not, but often got yourself, your, your mouth got yourself into trouble a little bit on, on the field sometimes and had to wait for the big boys to come over and protect you a little bit. Um, but you were starting playing footy at A-grade level from, what, 15, 16 years of age, yeah? Um, yeah, so me and Willow, um, we played uh, yeah, a lot of football together and, um, yeah, we both started playing A-grade uh, very similar time. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I think I was 15 at the time, um, probably laid about 45 kilos soaking wet. And, but um, also always prided myself on uh, being able to get in under, um, and, um, yeah, I think anyone knows me, I know I don't mind a bit of chirp. And um, I was lucky that um, when I started playing A-grade, it was we weren't very successful to, as a team at the time, but uh, we'd played with, a, played with a lot of blokes that had been successful and been around football for a long time. And it was old school that, um, you know, you look after the, the young lads, you look after your teammates. So... Um, I remember I was a bit bit lippy one day. Uh, I think we were playing BMW and um, one of the blokes knocked me on my backside. Um, and before I could stand up and, you know, throw my weight around or anything, two of um, two of my players already had the old mate on the ground and <laughs> saying, oh, if you're going to mess with him, you're going to have to mess with us. So um, it gave me a lot of confidence to keep lipping off and keep doing my <laughs> thing, knowing that... Um, had some big six foot three, six foot four blokes having me back. So, um, yeah, so that was good. So, <clears throat> is that the is that the sort of player that you like to see or like to coach, or do you have, do you have like a favourite type of player to coach? Um, yeah, like I do um, like guys that remind me of myself. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I love the goal. Um, you know, an opportunities goal, like um, you know, crumbing goal. Um, don't mind a bit of a celebration either. So. Um, I used to be the old Andrew McLeod point of the sky celebration. Um, so, yeah, when you see some guys like Didzy and Joel Clark and, you know, Hinty always liked a um, celebration as well. So um, those sort of blokes um, always get me going a bit uh, when they kick a nice goal and, and celebrate it. So what you're saying is to players who are playing under you currently, you want them to sort of carry on a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I like people to enjoy their football, um, you know, and, I think you kick a nice goal. Uh, there's nothing wrong with um, celebrating. It gets gets underneath the opposition skin a bit, and um, you know, it gets them off their game a little bit. So I like blokes to enjoy their footy and um, you know, express themselves. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, sometimes they turn into robots a bit playing football, and it's definitely not how I play it, and it's not how I coach either. So yeah. Well, speaking about coaching, so when you first came here, was it 2014, 15 yep. season, two seasons there. Um, coaching or assistant coaching from the bench under Ty Allen alongside Ben Schofield as well. Um, at the end of 15, there was a, a fair few players that left and a couple of the coaching staff as well left. Take us through your decision to kind of step away from the club at that stage. Yeah, so um, like you said, um, come here in in 14 and 15 under, um, you know, working alongside of, um, of Ty and um, Ben um, and then Brad Harper as well in, the, in 15. Um, 
and that was really good. Uh, it was a little bit different. Um, like it was sort of weird because um, I was actually more experienced coaching wise than Ty and um, Scully both were. Um, so I was almost coming in as a bit of a mentor type thing, even though I was only 27, 28, similar age to them. Um, and um, at the end of the 2015 season, um, Ty walked away and um, I, I actually put him for the A-grade coaching job myself that year. Um, I was very hesitant whether I actually wanted the job or not. Um, and it wasn't until the day um, the coaching um, applications closed, um, Kaylee rung me up and said, well, you got to actually put in or not? Um, and um, I rung my offsider, Brad Harper, and said, oh, if I put in, he's going to be my offsider. And he goes, you know, Duff, where you go, I go. So, um, so I ended up um, putting in, but um, to be honest, my heart wasn't really in it. I'd coached for seven years at that stage straight. Um, and I probably just needed a year off just to get away from training twice a week. Um, you know, footy's a eight, nine months a year job now. Um, so yeah, had a, had a year away and, um, and still come watch a couple of games, but, um, just really cleared my head, went and watched a lot of footy, um, Adelaide Oval, um, and yeah, just really enjoyed, um, having a year away from footy that year. So yeah, it was only like that one year away. So what eventually lured you back in 2017? So I think, um, so Raz was the B grade coach um, for, well, what was he, three or four seasons Raz did um, B grade. Um, and he stepped away at the end of 2016. Um, and I think it was actually um, a monkey, um, Trevor Jenke, that um, said, to, said to Caleb, the president at the time, that um, maybe we should approach Duff and... Um, and see if um, he'd be interested in um, getting back on board as the, the B-grade coach. Um, so Caleb called me and um, it was really weird because um, I think I'd thought two days before that I'd heard that Raz had retired and, or had stepped away and I thought maybe I should put my hand up to do the B-grade and before I could even do that, Caleb rung me and um yeah went and met with kim um and shane um because i really hadn't had a lot to do with them too so i went and had a meeting with them and um yeah signed up on the spot basically after you know, uh, hour, hour and a half chat with them and um, just thought it was going to be a really good fit for both parties so um that's uh that's how i end up back at the doggies yeah cool just to clarify there too kim hillard was the a-grade coach at the time and shane was his assistant coach shane hickey was his assistant coach um, all right, I'm going to stroke your ego a little bit. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to read you back. Um, since you have been coaching in B grade, um, this is your resume. It's four flags in a row, so that's 2017 through to 2020. We've, and these are my numbers, so I hope they're right. Uh, 65 wins from 72 games, which is a winning percentage of 90%. That's pretty extraordinary, like numbers. It, I don't really... Ma- think it matters what level of footy it is like that's a really good return so what do you think's made you a successful coach you know has it just been a case of oh you've got really really good players or do you think it's I've got a game plan that works really well like in your opinion why have you been so successful um it's a mixture of everything um doesn't matter how good a coach you are if you don't have the cattle um you're you're basically nothing um so 
One is I have had really good squads. Um, uh, part of that is I put a lot of work in to put those squads together. Um, you know, always, always working the phones. Um, you know, you hear of someone that, um, you know, 2018, it was getting, you know, Todd Bennett back to the club and, um, you know, looking around, you know, getting Hodgie up um, out of the C grade for a kick. Um, you know, talking um, Dredzy into um, coming up out of the, out of the C grade um, where he probably played most of his Lutheran career. Um, so um, with that, um, being able to get those guys up is because I form good relationships with players. Um, so I think, and then um, I've been coaching for you know, 12, 13 years now. So I think I've got a pretty good understanding on how to coach and um, how to get the best out of players as well now. So I don't think it's a, a one thing um you know, you can, you can accidentally win a premiership as a coach, um, with really good players. Um, but to carry that over four years, you have to tick a lot of boxes and, um, yeah, I think the main boxes are, you know, have the cattle, have good relationship with, with that cattle that, you know, they'll run through brick walls for you as a coach. Um, have a, you know, a, I'd say a basic game plan because it's B grade footy, div seven levels. So, you don't want to overcomplicate things too much at that level. Um, and I think um, also I've been um, blessed with really good leaders over the time, like Joel Clark as captain, uh, Trevor Jenke, uh, Matty Dicker, um, Dags, um, you know, Dredzy. Um, you know, the list goes on. The the leaders I've had out there, which um, has really helped me as well to, to pass my message on to the lads while they're out there playing. Yeah, I just wanted, just because you mentioned him, uh, Joel Clark, he's been your captain the whole time. You've gone through that phase of winning flags, is that right? Yep, so... Um, I, just on that, I just wanted to, because um, he's been your right-hand man and it seems like that relationship works really well. Um, so I just wanted to know like, if you could tell us a bit about that relationship and why why he is such a good leader for, for your players, but also why he works well with you. Yeah, so, um, yep, so Joel's been... Um, my captain uh, from 17 all the way through. Um, uh, surprisingly, he'd never captained a team before, which um, really surprised me because he's such a natural leader. Um, he um, He's grown in the role as well. Um, he just speaks so well to the boys now. And uh, he, he's sort of your ideal captain too because um, he's your best player and... He just leads from the front. Um, so when you see a guy that good tell you to do something, um, you just do it. Um, part of his leadership style is he brings a lot of people in the game, just telling them to run over there because he knows he's going to win the ball there and he's going to get the ball and kick you straight out there on the wing. And he just brings players into the game like that. Um, and me and Joel, we think very similar the way we want um our teams played um so that makes um my job a lot easier because a lot of times i'll say to joel you know what do you think about this and he goes yeah i was thinking the exact same thing um and um or joel say to me oh how do you feel about moving this bloke there i was like yeah i was thinking that as well so we really thought similar uh which is not always the case and doesn't always have to be the case either sometimes it's really good to have a different opinion um but um uh with joel um and me thinking so similar 
it was almost like I could be on the field um, because I know what Joel was saying was pretty much what I was thinking as well. Um, so I think that's sort of what made us such a great team that um, everything I was thinking, Joel was thinking the same. So he was able to relay that to the players out in the field. So just actually, because you mentioned like such a close relationship, partnership with Joel, what's the toughest decision you've had to make with Joel um, throughout your last couple of years? Um, it's a good point. Uh, probably, you know, there's been some... Um, you obviously have played three, uh, four grand finals in a row, so uh, and we've always had a very strong side. So the last, um, the last spot in grand finals teams are probably always very difficult. Um, yeah, I think um, surprisingly we've never not agreed on a decision to to leave someone out, um, and there's been times where. I've been perhaps gone into the final week of um, well, grand final week thinking that player X might play uh, and I've trusted Joel that much that he goes, I really think it should be player Y. And um, because Joel's the player out there with them and he sees what they do on the field and what they bring to a team, I've been, um, I've been happy to um, back Joel's opinion in there um but um that's meant i've had to make a tough decision to leave um other players out so i don't know if there's one particular um player that uh, or one decision that we've made that's tougher than the rest but it's probably been um i think 2018 was probably 2018 and the last year were probably the two toughest years where we had to leave five players out for the grand final sort of thing. Um, the rest, um, well, actually, I can't think of the toughest decision now. It was 2017. Um, Joel obviously did his knee that year, uh, did his ACL, but um, he kept training and um, surprisingly passed the fitness test um, grand final week. This, this was the same year that he won the league medal from 10 games, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. So uh, when your captain's won a league medal from 10 games and you're undefeated and he kicked 50 goals that year as well. Um, and he passed the fitness test Thursday, uh, Tuesday night of grand final week where he um, he kicked three goals in some match sim against our back line. Um, and our B-grade back line that year led about, 20 goals through for the year. So to kick three goals on our backman sort of was a fair, um, fairly good effort. So that decision meant Brody Miller, who had played, I think, every game for the season, was going to miss out. Um, so that was the decision me and Joel made that um, Joel was going to play um, and that we had to leave Brody Miller out. So overall, that was probably the tough decision to leave a bloke out um, that had done an ACL. So you're taking a guy in with a um, dodgy, with knee. dodgy yeah. knee uh, and leaving out an 18-year-old kid yeah. that had played every game. So An old, old man with a dodgy knee as well. Exactly. So. How'd he go in the grand final? Uh, not great, not great. <laughs> <laughs> Justified. He did, he did almost snag a goal, um, which would have been... We controlled the game all day, so we didn't really need him, but um, he almost snagged a goal just for half time that really probably would have been a nail in the coffin because it would have 
six goal up going into half time. Yeah, he would I think. have been real subdued with that goal celebration. As <laughs> I'd well. imagine he would have been, yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose just going away from footy a little bit, who do you kind of look to or draw inspiration from? Like, obviously, you've been through a hell of a lot in your, was it 34 years, 35 years? Yeah, nearly 35, yep. Yeah, 35. So, um, one of my favourite quotes at the moment is, you'd never get through life by yourself. There's a lot of people that like to do things individually and their own, their own person, but um, no matter what aspect of your life, if you want to be successful, you need to have someone or a group of people that you can ask for for help um, or you get that inspiration from. So who would who would that be for you? Uh, good question. Um, I don't know if I have like a, an idol or you know, an actual inspiration, but I think what's made my life easier uh, – is just having really good mates, uh, and that's that's um, the crew from back home. That uh, when I first had my accident, that all got around me, everything like that. Um, moving to the city and um, getting a whole new group of mates, um, and for me, that's probably the biggest thing. That when um, yeah, you know, struggling or or whatnot, that um, I feel like I've got you know a, a big group of mates that I can turn to pretty much any one of them and say, uh, let's catch up for a beer or let's, you know, go do something. Um, and that's sort of my biggest thing. I think that, um, helps me, um, helps me keep going. is just, um, you know, a group of, group of friends rather than one person individually or, you know, someone I'll look up to or anything like that. So what about, um, your family members, um, you know, mum and dad, sister at home, have older been, brother, older brother, have they been influential? Uh, yeah, so they um, they're obviously great. Um, yeah, I don't want to praise them up too much. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I said to um, um, at my twenty first speech that um, um, you know, I don't really praise my um family up too much, but um, it was my twenty first, so I thought um. Of course, that'll be no difference then. So, might as well keep that the same now. So, no, nah, they're yeah, they're great. They um they um they'll do anything for me. Um, you know, they'll drive down, you know, the two hours from Port Broughton to um do anything for me if I need anything. Um, you know, I lived at home for twenty seven years. Um, so uh, well, twenty six years, something like that. So, um, yeah, my family's really good. Um, you know, my sister, you know, I live with her in Adelaide here for three or four years um so she's great she's yeah you know, sort of one of my best mates and um she um you know she'll do anything for me um as well so um really supportive family um as much as we drive each other insane at times um <laughs> you know we're um we're we're close without having to tell each other that we're we're close yeah. we just know everyone's there so i love um Paul and Pauline, for those who don't know, are Duff's, Duff's parents and they've been uh, been willing or silly enough to let us in um, to their shack up at Wallaroo for a couple of footy trips previously and always put on a massive barbecue breakfast and a bit of backyard cricket. But um, I haven't met too many greater people than than your parents. Like the, like you said, the, at the drop of a hat, they, they come down and help out. I mean, they donated a whole lot to the Josh Andy Smith Day last year um, with a big, like... Was it lamb or spit? Euros, um, wasn't it? And um, just a whole lot of other small things around the club that they're they're more than happy to help out because they know how much Lutheran means to 
to yourself um, and they obviously get so much joy out of watching you being you being happy and all that so um, massive shout out to Paul and Pauline and also love the fact that they've pretty much got the same name <laughs> yeah no, they um, they love Adelaide Lutherans and and it's as much that uh, yeah I've been embracing to the Adelaide Lutheran family so they're more than happy to um, you know, help out um, anyone from um, Adelaide Lutherans and Adelaide Lutherans as a as a club they um, you know they love what Adelaide Lutheran means to me, so, um, yeah, they love it. What about, so, one guy that came up in conversation whilst um, doing a bit of background checking on you uh, was a bloke by the name of Mickey Mello. Um, so, he's your Colts coach, yeah? Yeah, yeah so, um, senior Colts coach, um, um, you know, uh, abs- like he was probably only, you know, so, senior Colts, you're under... 15s, uh, under 17s, but I was probably at 15, 16 at the time when he was coaching us. And um, really great guy. Um, could relate to 15-year-olds. He was you know, a bit of a lad himself. And um, he, um, yeah, coached us for a couple of years and I was lucky enough. Um, when I first started playing A-grade, um, I'd been on the, the ground for about 30 seconds and a goal was kicked and um, Mickey came up to me and said... Um, uh, Duff, you're on the ball. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm swapping Fort Pocket. He goes, yeah, I'm swapping with you. So um, <laughs> I'd been on the ground for 30 seconds in A grade and, um, you know, swapping. Um, uh, I just got told by my senior Colts coach who, um, you know, was a bit of a club legend as well, um, that I was going um, into the uh, into the middle. So that was, that was awesome. And, um, you know, just um, being able to play footy with, um, a bloke that had taught me a lot about how to play football was um, was awesome. So I got to play um, you know, a year with him. Um, and then, um, yeah, he sort of tragically passed away um, about the age of 34. Uh, I think he had, um, yeah, like a brain aneurysm. Um, first bloke you'll ever meet, um, you know, lived with the doctor. Um, his partner was the doctor and... Um, yeah, just um, just dropped dead um, one night at home, and um, that was um, that was pretty tough to be honest. Um, you know, a guy that you'd looked up to, and um, he he used to live up the road from um, from where I lived. He was in, you know two farms down, so um, I'd uh, get a lift home from footy training um, with him, and um, sneak a couple of beers in on the way home sometimes. <laughs> and, um, so um, yeah, he was definitely one of my uh, my football heroes and a guy that really shaped me as a as a footballer. Um, the way he played because he was only he was only a little fella as well and always went in hard and um, and that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, um, really shaped me as a as a footballer how to play and play hard. I what think he shaped you. Sorry, so yeah. I think he shaped you as a bit of a, a person as well by the sounds of it. A um, bit of a larrikin, a bit of a lad. Um, uh, Willow was telling me that uh, as a was it fifteen year old you'd be first in the showers with um, with the older boys smoking a dart and having some beers as a as a fifteen year old kid and a couple of sort of um, inter oh, there's a infamous sort of Broken Hill footy trip that I think he was a part of as well so I don't know if you can go into too much detail about that but yeah I think it's I think it's PG PG yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah I remember um, um, I remember after. I uh, played one of my first A-grade games. I was, 
was sitting in the rooms um, having a dart with um, Mickey and another bloke and the old man walked in and, um, you know, trying to hide the dart from the old man because, you know, <laughs> pretending they didn't know I smoked at the time. And um, then... Um, what about when Paul found out? How happy was he? Oh, he gave me his lighter, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was... Um, Another time I was having a beer and um, uh, I think the bartender said to the old man, um, Duff's over the other side of the bar having a beer, is, is that all right? And dad said, yeah, but I guess I'll have to drive home now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no country footy, it's, um, it was great. So, Yeah. Um, well, actually, I think the, you mentioned Mickey passed away. I think that was around about the same time as your accident, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was um, He. It was only about two months before, a month before. Um, I think he passed away in about the 3rd or 4th of January and um, I had my accident um, about uh, 15th or something of February. So, um, yeah, so it was a really tough time um, and... The worst thing was probably um, I was pretty determined to um, have my best year at footy. I'd finished third in the A grade, best and fairest of the season before as a as an eighteen year old. Um, and I remember telling Mickey um, after um, the best and fairest count that um, I was pretty good and that I was going all right. And, <laughs> and he sort of turned to me and said, "Duff." Um, you ain't bugger all until um, you get your photo up on the board as a um, as a premiership player. Um, that was words that always stuck in my head. That um, and I was out running every night because um, I was either going to get my name up on the board as the best Ferris or I was going to get my photo up on the board as a as a premiership player. So I was running every night, um, which was a bit rare for me because I didn't particularly like training um, and. Um, so, but yeah, I was really determined to get um, as fit as possible, and um, those words, yeah, was um, really rang in my head when I was running and things getting tough. That um, yeah, I was pretty determined to get my name up on the board yep. as a um, as a premiership um, player. So, you um, so I think you, you kind of got a chance, I suppose, with your, your B grade coaching stuff a little bit later on. Um, so you did get that premiership glory back back home. Um, but maybe just walk us through a little bit about your, your incident. So for, for those who don't know, maybe just walk us through what happened, maybe the next couple of years um, that preceded that as well. Yeah, so um, it was a Friday night um, in February, a pretty hot night. We'd, um, we'd actually had football training that night um, and um, after free training we went down the pub for a feed and a few beers and um, we decided we'd... Um, would keep uh, keep the party going, and we went out to um, actually went out to Willow's house, who's a new footy player for us this year, Andrew Wilson. Um, we went out to his place and uh, had a few more beers, and uh, he's, he just had a pool out there. You know, a pool I'd swum in you know, a thousand times before, um, and um, uh, we um, I was I was actually standing probably uh, on the second step of the pool. I wasn't on the side or anything. Um, and um, I just dove in. It was a pretty gentle dive. And um, remember, um, I don't remember hitting the bottom, but I remember not being able to move. Um, and I was face down in the water and um, it was lucky that the boys realised pretty quick that something was wrong. So they jumped in and um, 
they dragged me out. Um, I was probably lucky again that um, one of the lads there was actually a medic in the army, so he knew, you know, um, you know, keep what to do, what to do and yeah. um, that sort of stuff. So um, was in a fair bit of pain. I remember that. Um, got the ambo ride back into the um, hospital, and was, I remember it being really hot in the ambulance. Um, and um, then um, yeah, got a free chopper ride to um, to other <laughs> Royal Adelaide. Probably could have done without it. I think. Yeah, yeah I yeah, definitely could have done without that, yeah. but. Um, um, yeah, so I was in a fair bit of pain until, um, until the chopper got there and then, um, they, um, they knocked me out on some morphine. Um, and then basically for me, the next two weeks is a, is a, just a patchy blur sort of thing. Um, I remember sort of waking up post-surgery. So, um, um, uh, so I'd broken my neck, obviously diving into the pool, um, so I had to go in for surgery to um, fuse a couple of the um, the vertebrae together. I think C four and C five or something like that. Um, and I come out of surgery and I was conscious and a couple of boys and uh, that had come in. They drove straight down to Adelaide from um, um, from Broughton that night and stayed around the hospital all day. And I think by this stage it was probably about four or five o'clock that next afternoon so probably about 15 16 hours after the incident uh, and i'd already gone in and had my surgery and come out and um um my brother fainted for some reason it's all about him uh, <laughs> <laughs> he just fainted uh, uh wasn't hooked up to any machines or anything like that uh but uh, he just fainted just made a bit of a big deal about himself I was selfish like, come on mate like it's all about me at the moment um <laughs> And then um, uh, I, I guess um, a lot of people know with spinal injuries that um, you lose feeling or the ability to to walk and that sort of stuff, but um, affects a lot of other parts of your body too. And and one of the big things is um, your breathing. Um, so um, most healthy people, when they take a deep breath in, they um, breathe in about four to five liters of oxygen, I think. Um, and my lungs started collapsing and shit. Um, so at one stage there, I was, um, when I was taking a deep breath, I was breathing in 300 mils. Shit. So less than a can of Coke, um, down from five liters. So, um, so I ended up having to go on a ventilator, um, for probably about five days. I was on a ventilator with a tube down my throat in ICU. Um, and sort of just in and out of consciousness at that stage because they, sort of keep you pretty sedated just because it's um it's also the pain of the injury as well so and traumatic i guess uh yeah so um so i was in and out and then um uh got tube taken out and i was all good for a couple of days and then um uh my lungs started collapsing again uh one collapsed the other one was almost collapsed as well and um they said uh we'll put a tracheostomy in um in your actual throat, it's a bit more comfortable than having a tube down your throat. And they told me, oh, you know, a week or two, um, you'll uh, probably get that taken out. Um, little old to me that what they told mum and dad is, chances are um, he'll be on that for the rest of his life. He'll need to have a um, tracky the rest of his life and need help breathing for the rest of his life. So um, obviously um, didn't really affect me because I was high as a kite at the time. But uh, <laughs> you can imagine that was pretty traumatic for mum and dad. Yeah, um, 
But um, lucky enough, um, sort of uh, got all that taken out and um, probably about six weeks later. Um, so so does that mean you recovered a lot better than the doctor's expectations? Um, I think they um, somewhat build you up for the worst. Um, and then, um, you know, anything better than that is better sort of thing. So bonus. So, um, can I, can I just ask, cause I'm curious when, when this all happens, you know, like you said, that first couple of weeks is a bit of a blur, you know, eventually you do get discharged, I guess, and you go out to live life. What were like your initial thoughts? Were you like, well, you know, crap, here I am. Or was it just like, oh, well, this is what it is. And onwards and upwards if I can from here or how did you treat it? I'm yeah, yeah. So for me, it was sort of just step-by-step process. Like the first step was getting out of ICU, getting rid of the, um, the tracheostomy, um, uh, and then physio started like when, when I first had my injury, I couldn't even lift my arm off the bed. Um, and then, yeah, I could lift my arm off the bed 10 times and I'd be absolutely exhausted and sleep for two hours. Like that was like, yeah going for a 10k run you know what i mean like absolutely exhausted and then um you know another goal of mine was you know i used to play fight with the old man a bit so it was trying to get strong enough to you know throw one at the old man so um <laughs> that was a bit of a uh, clock him a bit of a um what about paul can he go a bit or oh, i used to beat him yeah. uh, <laughs> still do i think um but so you know so getting out of icu was you know a step and then get rid of um, tracky was another step and then, you know, getting some straight strength back up in the arms was the next step. And then, um, so you get discharged from the Royal Adelaide and you go out to the Hampstead rehab center. So that's another step. So to get those steps in place, that was like three months. Um, and then another six months in, um, rehab. So next step is sort of getting out of there. Um, and then so the next step was just sort of getting used to life at home but um for me it was never i never had like oh crap i'm gonna be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life it was just okay what's happening the next month or two um you know what's the next step to um you know and then i guess when i got back home the next step was okay i gotta find something to do with myself and uh that's when i sort of fell into um coaching footy and then after that finished Broughton, you know, the next step was, oh, let's move out of home. Let's move to Adelaide. Um, so even to now, it's sort of just been, I've never thought probably too far ahead into the future. It's sort of just been, you know, what's the next step? What's the next challenge um, in my life? And I think that's probably a better way than going, yeah, I'm going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Um, that's pretty daunting, you know what I mean? So Yeah, I guess like what you're saying there is just small achievable goals that you kept working towards to keep you going yeah live yeah. live in the moment i guess a bit too like you know take things you know day by day and and yeah have little little goals and um don't get um too much caught up in the um you know big picture um what life might look like just take each day as it comes sort of a little bit yeah so you're talking about like finding something for yourself to do um and obviously that can be quite challenging quite limiting for um, someone in a wheelchair, limited uh, quite physically. Um, but there was something that you were doing at 
the Royal Adelaide Hospital, um, I think, prior to COVID. That might have stopped since COVID's happened. Um, but do you want to maybe just walk us through your involvement with local schools and the hospital in, in that role? Yeah, so when I first moved to Adelaide, I got asked to be involved in, um, it's called the Party Program. It's, um, I think it stands for Preventing Alcohol-Related Trauma in Youth. Um, and it's sort of just a, um, a program that's aimed at um, Year 10, 11, 12 students um, and they take them through the hospital, um, through the emergency department. Um, they have some mock scenarios. Um, what's, what's that? Oh, mock scenarios. Like, yeah, yeah so mock yeah. scenarios. So yeah, there's been a car crash and they actually make the students work on them and they've got actual like, real-life um, dummies that, um, yeah. you know, they, they're computer-animated sort of thing where they're – real responsive and they got to shock them back to life and yep. um yeah, okay. and it's pretty confronting um and then i used to come in at the end of the day and just say oh this is what happened to me um you know this is how it changed my life um and um and yeah just speak to the kids about how how one decision um after a few frothies um changed my um my life and um, that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, so I've sort of done that for about five years until, until COVID hit um, last year, and and that's sort of still on hold at the moment um, with COVID as well. So are you are you likely to resume that work? I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether it's um, uh, now I've stopped doing it for a while. Okay. Whether I'll move back into that or I'll um, look to find something else to do. Is there anything in particular that you are looking at? trying to get hold of um it's a good question um uh, nothing that really leaps out of it me um my my one like my biggest passion is um is football um always sort of has been and i think you touched on it before a little bit that a lot of people that have um spinal injuries are um young active males up to no good and they're not sort of um, <laughs> they're not sort of um, the sort of blokes that want to sit behind a computer and um, you know work as an office job or um, yep. that sort of stuff. So a lot of them really do. Uh, a lot of people I know really do find it hard to um, find something that they can still physically able to do, but um, mentally enjoy as well. Yep. So that's where footy. Um, has been great for me because it's something that I'm still physically able to do. You don't have to be able to walk to coach, um, but um, it keeps my, my brain busy. And, um, you know, particularly probably early on coaching back in Broughton, um, I think I probably started two years after my accident, um, that it just gave me a reason um, to get out of the house. Um, not that I was a bloke that was just going to sit at home and be miserable all the time, but um sometimes if it's cold and wet and rainy out it's pretty easy to say i'm not going out but when you're coaching and you've committed to coach you go well no nah, i have to go to training tonight because um yeah i've committed to that and um early on it was probably good just to get back um out in the community in my wheelchair and and see that you know really didn't get any treated any differently to what i was treated like before um so um yeah okay are you ready for another hard question okay <laughs> um 2020 football season so globally 2020 was a hard year for everyone right 
we all know COVID pandemic, people lost jobs, but our footy season in particular was hard for a number of reasons. Um, and one of those reasons was we tragically lost Josh Enty Smith, um, sudden heart episode uh, on the training track during preseason. So he tragically passed away. Um, but I, I think I've heard you say it before previously that, I mean, you and him clearly had a very special relationship and I think you might even, even have said uh, he was your favourite in a lot of ways. So my question is, can you tell us a bit about your relationship with Josh, what he means to you then, what he means to you now, if you could just elaborate? Yeah, so um, that was um, that was easily probably the toughest time of my life. I think losing Josh was harder than, for me personally, harder um, than my accident itself, um, you know, um, I was on the inside, um, when I had my accident, obviously, um, and it probably affected my family and friends, um, a lot harder than it affected me, but with Josh, um, it was just, um, it was just real, really, um, I remember getting, um, getting a phone call or text message from, from Mick Hammett, the president, saying, um, it's been an incident training and, um, that Josh Henty's collapsed and the um, ambulance are there working on him. And, and then, um, you know, I got a call from, from a good friend of mine, uh, Vice Captain Joey Elms, um, uh, saying that it wasn't good and that we're all going down to the, um, the footy club um, just to wait and see. And, um, uh, yeah, got down there and, um, yeah, it was a um, pretty somber mood down there by the time I got down there and, we got the bad news that uh, the tragic news that he'd passed away, and um, yeah, it was just complete and utter shock. I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I slept or, um, you know, functioned for a couple of days. Really, it was just absolutely surreal. It was like, it was like the world stopped really. Um, and um, yeah, like you mentioned, he, uh, I don't think it was a secret either. Um, before he passed, that Henty was probably my favourite player. Um, at the club, um, I remember um, if you rewind a bit that when I first come to the club, there was um, I was probably halfway through the season before I knew even half the B graders' names, but I kept asking about this: who's this Josh Henty Smith bloke that um, keeps kicking goals in the um, in the B grade? Why are we not picking him in the A grade? I, I didn't even know who the bloke was because. Uh, Henty didn't train. Um, thus, thus, uh, that's another reason I liked him. You know, like I said, I, it wasn't a huge trainer. I was like anyone that can train and come out and kick bulk goals every week. You know, it's a bit about this kid. So, um, and then, um, yeah, I, I watched him play a couple of times after I'd seen his name. I was like, oh, we got to get this kid into the A grade. He's he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a jet. Um, and yeah, he played a couple of A grade games over 2014, 2015, and um, still wasn't training, of course. Um, <laughs> but um, really, really raided him. And then um, he he had a season off, um, the same season I had off, 2016. Um, and um, fair to say, he enjoyed that season yeah, off because he, he uh, went on the he, furniture diet. I yes, think, a little bit. <laughs> he come back a few kgs overweight and. Uh, typical Henty again. Um, no preseason. Um, my first game as coach. Um, had a fair few numbers that year as well, and um, come down to the last spot on the bench for round one. I think 
Hensley had trained once. We'd had blokes that had trained all pre-season. And um, I somehow managed to um, slot Henty in for um, <laughs> round one. And I think his first touch, and there was a few people who was like, oh, I'm not sure that should have happened. I was like, oh, you wait until you see him play. And I think his first touch, he ran on. It was a marking contest about 30 metres out. And he just picked it up on the half volley, snapped across his body and kicked the goal. I think he ended up um, kicking four for the day in about two and a half quarters um, and everyone's like, yeah, no way you picked him. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, yeah, it was that many times. Over the um, the, th- the three flags I won, um, you know, Henty played a big part in all three of them. I think he kicked two goals in 17, kicked three goals in in 18. Um, and um, there, but there was that many times where... Um, Brad Harper would turn to me on the bench and say, um, my, my runner, Brad, um, would say, um, we just need some Henty magic at the moment. And he'd, he'd run out to Henty because Henty was, he would get lazy out there. Um, he'd, you know, just fall asleep sometimes out there, I'd say. Um, and sometimes he just needed a bit of a kick up the backside to, um, to get into gear. And, and Brad would run out to him and say, yeah, we need 10 minutes out of you, Henty. And, without fail every time he'd do something and sometimes it wasn't a goal sometimes it was just you know a really good clean pickup that you know he handballed to a bloke run into an open goal or um lay a lay a tackle or take a mark but every single time without fail when you needed him to step up he would he would step up um and i think even his last moment in um in footy um it was 20 19 grand final he'd he'd struggled with a groin injury all season he played a grade the first five or six games and then he had this groin injury and kicked a kicked a winning goal um against green acres that that year as well yes he did yes very someone, very someone did good. some really good commentary to that. <laughs> i have heard <laughs> that it's worth somewhere. checking out if you haven't seen it put in the show notes later on <laughs> yeah um but um i remember um uh yeah so he had this groin injury and he played a game of B grade about two weeks out from finals and was pretty useless because he couldn't still run and he sort of put his na- a line through his name um, for A grade finals that year but playing that one game of B grade meant that he was going to be able to play A grade uh, B grade finals uh, and he was probably only 60% um, <laughs> and once again I, I picked him um, and he really had a shocker, to be honest. Um, and, um, <laughs> and, um, but, um, I remember it was late in the game and, and Houghton were really coming at us hard. They were probably three goals up quarter time and they got the lead back to, you know, nine or 10 points and, um, Starting to twitch a little. Yeah. And, um, Henty had probably been on the bench for about, about a quarter because he was pretty cooked. He's, um, you know, was only probably expecting to get a half out of him anyway. And we got that out of him. We had a few shots on goal, but just didn't quite have that power there to be able to kick the goals. Um, and um, I just, it was about five minutes to go. I was like, nah, it, we need need some henty magic. And um, um, so um, took Diddler off, Dids off, and um, and Henty went on and. Um, Brownie, Brownie hacked this kick out of a pack and 
somehow Henty found himself in a foot race um, with um, with one of the Houghton boys. The Houghton boy must have been pretty slow because <laughs> <laughs> Henty actually burnt him um, and just couldn't quite pick the ball up. But um, he uh, managed to milk a very nice free kick. Um, That's right. With a uh, with a minute twenty left on the clock, I think, and right forward flank, I reckon, from memory. It was, and uh, I'm pretty sure he went back to half back, and he's he's run up to goal. I reckon it was a um, <laughs> it was a real Bren Brown, Brown type run up, yeah, you know, about an eighty meter run up just to um, milk milk a bit more time off the clock, and um, he um, I think the ball dropped about. Oh, we'll kick him into the breeze, so he was never going to kick from fifty, <laughs> but. Um, he uh, ball dropped about ten metres short, and Brownie took a nice mark and went back and slotted the goal, and that was grand final over. But um, it was just one more bit of brilliance from Henty to you know to get goal side of his man, and then um, you know win the free kick, but then just just have that um, smarts. smarts to milk you know another minute off the clock, you know no time on in B grade, so. Um, you know, every time I needed to, right up to the last time he played for me, he always delivered. Yeah, I was thinking about that goal he kicked against Greenacres in the A grade to win us the game. Um, I guess what I found interesting about that pass, <clears throat> excuse me, that passage was it's not a particularly explosive pa- uh, passage of play, um, but he does a lot of little things really well. Like he picks it up pretty nicely off the deck, um, g- gives off a good handball, gets the ball back. And kicks a goal, so he certainly had. TK that. decides not to shepherd. Yeah, TK does nothing. Stands Tom, like a Tom, scarecrow. In the field. Tom Cowell there just stands there doing nothing. But um, <laughs> he definitely had that X factor about him. And I guess the one footnote I'll have on um, Henty was I. I mean, I worked with him for a year. And did not stop complaining when it was a training night. Right. <laughs> I used to hear it all day. And he he would be like, oh, you know, it's a bit cold, or it's you know, it might rain. Um, uh, you know, I've, I'm just feeling like I've got a bit of a hammy complaint. You know, I'd hear the whole lot. And I reckon the only reason he got a bit better towards training was because I was working with him. So he maybe felt a bit pressured to <laughs> come no in and, and uh, train. Yeah, no, he definitely was never a fan of training. I, I don't know if I've ever seen him complete a full session. No. Uh, <laughs> and it was, and he was the king of like the 20 minute warm up too. Like, yeah. you know, you do the warm up and everyone else, has a five minute stretch. His was a fifteen minute stretch and restretch the back again and <laughs> a lot of slow laps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um but um when you're that good you can get away with it. So <laughs> but um they yeah didn't. he he'll be um he'll always be um you know a special part of my life yeah. and um bloke I'll I'll never forget. Um great family. Um his parents are you know absolute legends and um jules and dave jules and dave we love having them around um and his partner laura um awesome awesome people and um and i think the way they handled his death gave um us as his teammates and friends a lot of strength as well um to see um that obviously we all struggled with it but um the strength that they showed i think um that they wanted josh us not to be sad at his lesson, but to remember the good times without him, and and I think um, that's how Josh has been remembered at the club is all the good stuff. Not that we're all sad that he's not with us anymore, but um, it's good that we can remember him and how much we all loved him and the little things that he did that we all um, we all loved about him. Absolutely. 
Um, I suppose, so that was probably a good summary of 2020, uh, which obviously culminated in a, in a grand final for the B grade. Uh, Dave presented the, um, uh, the medallions, the play medallions at the end of the day and coaches medallion. Um, moving into 2021, you're now sitting under Matt Whitford uh, as the senior assistant, um, coaching from the bench while Widow hopefully plays uh, a large portion of the season on the field at likely full back, I think. Um, what sort of duff are we going to see in 2021? Is it going to be pretty similar to what we've seen previously? Have you any tricks in the bag? Uh, how's, you, yeah, how's it all shaping up for 2021? Um, yeah, well, um, I think there's obviously um, a little bit of difference between coaching B grade and coaching A grade. Um, I, um, I probably demand higher standards from the group when I coach A-grade footballer, um, which I think you have to when it comes to skill level-wise and um, commitment to training and and um, that sort of stuff. But I sort of mentioned earlier, uh, um, football has to be fun. Um, so I still want blokes to enjoy themselves, play with their you know, natural flair and um, you know, enjoy the banter training while also you know, dancing that fine line of, having fun at training, but also taking it seriously. Uh, and, and the same thing with game day, um, you know, want to have some fun out there, celebrations and enjoyment and, um, you know, pre-game. Um, not a big fan of things being too serious pre-game. Um, you know, the B grade used to have old murder on the dance floor. Um, <laughs> DJ Brody Miller. Yeah. Yes. DJ Brody Miller cranking some chains. Um, and you know, I like having a, you know, Footy's, footy's going to be fun. Um, that's why we play. So um, I don't know if I'll be uh, too, too different. Um, probably probably call players out a little bit more um, to, to demand high, high standards than I would as a B-grade coach or, you know, coaching with the B-grade. Uh, but, um, you know, um, not too much will change um, as in – um, the way you go way about things. Yeah. 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 Um, and so with that comes, you know, this working relationship with Matt Whitford, the A-grade coach. How's that going? Uh, how do you find him? Yeah, so um, I really like um, Widow as a, as a bloke um, and, um, and as a coach. Um, obviously, um, we, were, we were quite late in appointing a coach Um late last season um and um you know widow being reasonably new to the club even though he did play in last year's premiership um he spent half of last year coaching north adelaide's um women's team or assistant coach out there so which i think also went on to premiers i did um so just with his time commitments with that he wasn't around the club a great deal so he personally is still getting to know you know, 120 different players or whatever we've got on our list. Um, he's brought in a whole new coaching staff as well. So um, I've been very happy for um, Widow to um, put some other um, preferences before me and him building a relationship. I think we have very similar f- um, thoughts on footy and philosophy and um, we were only talking last week that we're, we're very happy with where our relationship with each other's at, um, but I think it'll only get 
um, a lot stronger as as the season rolls around and we can move from the widow getting to know everyone else at the club to me and Willow uh, widow um, working on our uh, working relationship. Um, um, He's a um, elite after after hours operator. Uh, yes. Joined us on footy trip late last year as a, a super sub. Yes, made quite the impact, didn't he? Made quite the impact. Think, uh, I think um, you might have some run for your money with uh, captain after hours sort of styles here, tough. <laughs> That's right. I'm happy if someone take that job over. <laughs> yes. I'm getting pretty old these days, Scotty. Um, okay, so I don't know if this will work, but let's give it a try. I was thinking I want to ask, um, have a bit of fun and have a same question for each person we interview. So what I thought I'd do, um, and people might know, you know, you do the old word association. You say something and then the person has to think of the first thing that comes to their head. So I'm calling this thing player association. So Duff, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw some names at you of players you've coached and probably just in like two to three sentences, try and give a nice concise summary of whatever pops into your head when I say the players' names. All right. So me and Bolks will alternate player names. I'll start. Sounds good. First one, Joel Clark. Skipper. Um, yeah, one word. No, no, no. It can be. Oh, you can get, expe- just like two elaborate. or three sentences. Yeah. Uh, absolute gun. Um, you know, two-time medalist. Um, loves a goal. I don't think he runs in defense. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Stenchel. Stankel. Stankel? Stankel. Yep. Dredzy. Um, first thing that pops in my head is uh, kick three goals in the third quarter of a uh, grand final when we were 18 points down last year. So that's probably my most... Um, recent memory of him, but um, yeah, love what he brings to the team. Interesting about him, his nickname is Dreads, does not have dreadlocks. <laughs> does not have any hair. <laughs> um, okay, this is a fun one. Hayden Scharenberg. The general. Um, back pocket rocket. Um, a man that does not speak, um, but somehow controls the back six. Like The back six is his. Um, has not been beaten by an opponent in three years, I don't think, four years. And he's 34, 35 yep. years old. And I call BS on that because and he looks, looks like he's about 24. 20. <laughs> uh, Paul Kaisler-Smith. Ooh, Dr. Saucy. Um, <laughs> very underrated, I think. Um, well, I think he's a very, very smart ruckman. Um, you look at him and, no offence, Paulie, but you don't probably see a, <laughs> a, a elite footballer. Um <laughs> Uh, someone, so, someone said to me the other day, it wasn't me, but when Paulie first rocked up, he was maybe one of the worst footballers I'd seen. And, um, <laughs> and, um, but, um, you know, he's very, very smart football wise. He's been my vice captain for, um, I think just about every year, um, at least the last three. And, um, his last half in the last, in the grand final just gone was, um, excellent. So very, very underrated was how I'd, um, describe him. It's funny that you should mention people not looking like footballers because I've been introduced to a lot of guys who can play footy as A-grade skipper and they, they sort of go, really? Like you? <laughs> <laughs> um, Matthew Richardson. Yeah, Richo. Um, how do you describe Richo in a few words? Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, he will apologise to you profusely about a handball you've forgotten about from the first quarter. Two weeks later, of a game. Outside of Joel Clark, he's probably been my or Joel Clark and Dwayne's probably been my most consistent footballer over over three years, uh, four years. Um, I don't think he's ever played a bad game um, in those four years. Uh, if you ask him, 
he would have never said he's played a good game in those four <laughs> years. Um, I reckon uh, he actually won. It was BOG one game. I think it might have been at Houghton in playing A grade. And he still found an excuse to um, yeah. to apologise to Kim Hillard, who was the coach at the time. He, for he was sorry about something. something up. Yeah. But one sentence, um, maybe the best tap ruckman I've ever seen. Um, uh, the, his ability to put the ball down a midfielder's throat um, is second to none. Probably the best I've ever seen. All right, Dwayne Ludwig. Yep, uh, gone. Um, he, um, a tiny man. A tiny man um, that dislocated his shoulder probably every eight weeks. Um, would come to the bench, pop it back in, and be good to go within five. Um, two-time, one-time medal winner um, and um, two-time runner-up. Once the Joel by a vote and once the big fella from Houghton by a vote. Um and um, two-time he, BNF as well, I think. Uh, yep, I think so. Uh, uh, very, club. very good player. Um, uh, surprisingly, won three flags, twi- trained twice in those three <laughs> years, and um, they were they were pre-grand finals in 2017 and 2018. He trained them um, <laughs> the and played shithouse in both the grand finals. <laughs> so 2019, he refused to train before the grand final and got second best. So Method to the madness. Obviously yes. training for some people is not needed. Well, maybe that's what I'm doing wrong because <laughs> I train all the time and it <laughs> <laughs> hasn't resulted in much personal success. But... Um, I mean, how do you want to be remembered at Adelaide Lutheran? When everything's said and done, what's your legacy or what do you want people to think of you when, you know, when you're finished with this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the GOAT? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, Alistair. Nah, already that. Um, nah. Um, I, I don't really care how people remember me, but I probably want to be Glads and Dudley and Brea that um, – People in 20 years' time might rock up and know absolutely nothing about me um, other than I've been at the club for 20 years and, you know, part of the furniture um, and sort of the bloke that's just always there and um, always around. So I guess um, that's um, how I want to remember at the club. Um, Not necessarily for anything I've done, um, but... um, that um, yeah, I'm doggies through and through. Um, that um, yeah, just part of the furniture, basically. Yeah. And uh, probably the last one. What do you love about Adelaide Lutheran? Um, well, I just love how um, we're probably a really big bunch of weirdos, and <laughs> yeah. and but somehow we just all fit together. I don't, I don't know if there's. Um, another club like it in that there's just people from all different backgrounds in life with different jobs and come to football at different times um like zoobs comes from hockey never hardly played footy before coming to the doggies and um that happens all the time like you know ex-player jason ridley he was a boundary umpire out he never played footy before and went on to be you know vice captain of the a grade um so i just love that um we take all sorts and there's no real clicks at Adelaide Lutheran. Like, you know, you go to a lot of clubs and it's the A-grade midfielder that 
um, that hang out together or it's, you know, just the A-graders where, you know, at, at Luthies, um, you know, the best player in the A-grade, maybe best mates with the worst player in the C-grade. There's just no, there's no hierarchy. There's no, um, you know, levels. It's just all um, one club and um, one big family that um, um, everyone, you know, gets along and um, embraces each other. So, um, so that's one thing. And then um, also just how, you know, which I think we do to a lot of people, just how we welcome everyone in and, um, and um, yeah, that's just what I love that we're one big family really. Yeah. I know it's a, it's a common comment we get from people. Um, I know those My Palonga boys were training out with us. My Palonga? My Palonga? Oh, My Palonga. My Palonga. Thank you. Um, and I think they couldn't, they were sort of like, what What on earth is going on here? But like in sort of like a good way, you know, we're carrying on a bit, but I think they sort of liked it because it is so different. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a common comment we get. Guess what, guys? That's it. That's the end. That's, that's right. all we got for you. That's it. So that's the first ever, uh, it's a placeholder name for now, but we'll go with Bulldog for me podcast. Um, that is subject to change <laughs> depending on. I'm open to sponsorship. Yes. Yeah. Um, speaking of sponsorship, thank you, Bulks. Um this podcast was proudly sponsored by Safe Earth, which is um, a company, Riley Blackwell. 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 I always go to say Blackwood for some reason. Blackwell. Noodle. Noodle. Um, he got us this sponsor. Basically, all you really need to do is uh, share this uh, and you use the hashtag Bulldog for me um, on Facebook or Instagram. I'll monitor it. Uh, I'll just pick a random person and you will win a doggy dollars voucher worth 25 bucks. So that's some, you know, some beers over the bar. Um, so yeah, that's it for us for this one. Um, so I'd like to thank Bulks for helping me out. My pleasure. And Duffy, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me guys. And thanks everyone for listening. That's it. Nice work.